Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Hello everybody, Kathy Love here and my guest uh, today is Lauren Hart who is um, an occupational therapist and all of a sudden sort of found herself as founder and director of um, Optimal Living Therapy. Welcome. Thank you very much. Um, We're not going to need a lot of editing on this. I know it was the last thing you said before I hit record. No, we just kind of trim it and keep it G-rated and that's how it rolls. Hopefully, um, I'll keep the G-rated thing. Sometimes when I really get going, it can sometimes stray a bit PG, but um, we'll see how we go. <laughs> well, we can both uh, try. So, uh, well done for jumping in and kind of getting on the edge of that comfort zone and, you know, sharing your your business adventure publicly. Why why did you book and book in as a podcast guest? Um, great question. I found myself um, somewhat unplanned as a guest on a podcast, a property podcast in Perth mm-hmm. to talk about SDA, which is what I spend a big chunk of yeah. my life doing. Um, and really, I guess, yeah, it wasn't planned. Didn't think that I would enjoy the experience um, and just really loved it. Loved having a conversation with someone, um, really enjoyed the the questions and the information that came out of that. Really enjoyed talking about what we do. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess, broader impact that that can have um and so once I'd kind of got one under my belt someone else heard that they asked me to be a guest on their podcast so I jumped onto that and it was another property SDA based podcast and about the same time your team were reaching out looking for people and I thought I've listened to your podcast since 2018 and I thought you've got you've got some really great guests and um I find you pick me pick me I found your questioning really great really interesting and so I sort of thought oh you know what this will really really stretch my comfort zone because it's not talking about SDA it's talking about me and talking about our business and that's um, something I find very uncomfortable so (sighs) I thought this will really challenge me (laughs) so you like kind of being on the edge hey oh yeah I I, I'd get bored very easily I definitely like to um yeah stretch my capacity whether it's doing a bit of adventuring and high adrenaline sports or whether it's um yeah doing something business-wise that's incredibly foreign and uncomfortable um generally someone who likes to yeah try and stretch myself to my limits it's admirable because uh given the last couple of years that we've had you know the appetite for risk has diminished and diminished and diminished and I think many allied health business owners are really only in the last three or four months been starting to reclaim this position of being risk takers and more proactive and putting their foot down on the pedal in terms of growth. Um, You know, our members have witnessed amazing growth during this pandemic thing that we've had, but um, others have just played a really cautious game that doesn't sound like you. 
No, I think we're quite fortunate as well, given we're based in WA. Whilst COVID's been mm-hmm. radar, it's probably been a little bit more of a blip as opposed to a um a tornado or hurricane that we've had to weather. And probably only really the last six months it's been something that's really um impacted um the business in some ways. Um mm-hmm. so I think that's definitely helped in our ability to take some risks. But I think definitely very much attached to my personality. I think um yeah, if we're not doing something some, sometimes probably to my detriment and um, the lovely people around me um, probably sometimes go, oh, not another idea. But um, I, I think my own personal appetite is that I need to, yeah, constantly be challenged and stimulated and, and that is probably a little bit of a self-fulfilling thing really, but um, it just keeps life a bit more interesting. And it shows up in in business and it shows up in growth and scale and impact and all of that good stuff as well. You know, I, I sit with this idea that, um, you know, your business success will only, will never exceed who you are. Um, and so interesting theory about who you need to be to have the business you want as well. Um, yeah, I think I've sort of somewhat, um, it's definitely not a mistake or by by chance, but I think definitely I've always been more inclined to follow my own personal and clinical drive and ambition and interest and the business has kind of formed alongside that as opposed to the other way around. Um, And I think growth and scale has probably been quite symbiotic to that as well. Mm. We've never kind of set out with an objective to be a particular size or to, you know, have a certain number of staff or have a certain level of revenue. We've kind of just followed what we're really passionate about and what we do really well at. And that's kind of led to the growth that we've had, which has been quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. So paint us a bit of a picture. Uh, if I kind of came to your team day next week and walked in the door with a bottle of good Victorian wine, who would I see? What would the atmosphere be like? What would you be talking about? Um Great question. Um, it's actually this Friday because I have Oh, is it? I guess in tomorrow I or next week. Out, yeah, I push out my week. So if you walked in tomorrow, well, you, you wouldn't see a few of our team because unfortunately most of them have three of them have COVID this week. Okay. Um, Just but, um, use your um, imagination. <laughs> um you well we've got um we've got our two wonderful admin team there's me and Therese who sort of um I guess run and manage um the business and, and ops on a day-to-day basis. We have uh, about 12 wonderful OTs um, and the, the quarterly team days are very much about PD. So um, we'll, tomorrow we're going to an equipment supplier first up and kind of running through the, their equipment and their features. Then we come back to the office, have a big team lunch. Um, we're all hybrid working remote and in office. So it's kind of the occasion where everyone's in one place at one time. Um, and we get some presenters in to come and have a chat to us about, you know, topics that are of interest to the team. Tomorrow we've got a wonderful OT who's got a mental health background coming in, having a chat to us about risk assessment and people who are in, you know, maybe an acute mental health space. That's not really our clinical background at all. And so we sometimes find ourselves in situations we're not quite equipped to deal with. Um, so that was a team request for that presentation. Um, and then tomorrow afternoon's a bit of a, update from us we've just done our annual planning for the year so it's a bit of a you know get the team involved as to what um right. and our tuition are going to look like for the next year busy day yeah very busy day but great and then we've got drinks afterwards to all celebrate and wind down from said big day yep beautiful beautiful what 
What does your team do really, really well? They do OT extremely well. Um, mm. We're very much focused on core bread and butter, be an OT first, worry about the insurance and the scheme later. So they do OT functional assessment, functional report, helping clients with their goals. They do all of the bread and butter of OT exceptionally well. Um, but I think probably the services we're well known for in WA or referred to frequently for are complex mods, mm. the more complex end of AT. So we have um, clients who've got some quite complex needs in terms of seating and voice systems and pressure care and positioning. Um, and we do a lot in the SDA and SEAL space. So we're well mm. known for that kind of assess and report mm. and comprehensively capturing a person's needs. Yeah, probably in summary. So good, solid clinical governance, not yeah. trying to do all of the OT for all of the people. No, very much in our lane, like our lane. Um, and occasionally if you see us straying out of it, there'll always be something that connects us back to what we're doing. So, you know, we're, we're adult neurological disability primarily as a cohort yep. and occasionally we'll be doing something with someone who maybe has a diagnosis of um, quite profound autism or intellectual disability, but it'll always be connected back to one of those key services that will either be for a mod or it will be for housing and exploration support mm. needs stuff. Mm. We wouldn't do intervention with those cohorts. So sometimes we kind of provide that more consulting role where the on-the-ground therapist doesn't feel confident to do that, the treating therapist. Yep. But, yeah, there's we're definitely very happy being in our lane and have no desire to be anything other than OTs and be anything other than those services. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Did you ever kind of consider building a multi-disc team and doing that one-stop shop thing? Insert shake of head and grimace. Yeah, yeah. Hands once, on hips. <laughs> once very, very, very briefly, um, and that was more about the fact I was working with a really wonderful physio at the time. Yeah. And us, and she was kind of wanting to do her own thing, and she was in that thing of oh, so hard to set it up. You have to think of so much. And I was sort of like, mm. you could probably, you know, operate under our umbrella, but you'd run all the physio stuff. And um, it was a bit of a whim thing, one of those like scenarios where I was like, oh, that might be a good idea. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, that's actually not really what I want to do. Um, and thankfully, that mm. yeah, didn't eventuate more beyond one brief conversation. Um, but no, I, I'm very much of the belief that. Um, as an OT, I'm best placed to work with a team of OTs. And I think that the kind of work that we do, being quite specialist um, and on the more complex end of things, I sort of think we're just more suited to being an independent provider who just focuses on OT. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I when I had my practice, we just had OTs and... Um... I really did not give that any particular alternatives, any particular thought. Mm. I was really most comfortable and committed to um, doing one thing really well um, and having some brand and reputation around that. And that's not to say that multidisc teams don't do it well. It's yeah. just wasn't a game, a, a, a breadth, a scope of work that I wanted to to step into. Um, yeah. I think the quality and the clinical governance part would have would have been what was lacking for me. I think I would have yeah. um, needed yeah. 
a particular, I would have needed to have found myself in a situation with the perfect business partner at the perfect mm. time. But I think also like early career, I was employed by a physio owned and operated company as an OT. And I can't say that I enjoyed large mm. parts of that experience because mm. I felt very unsupported and felt very misunderstood as a professional because it was kind of like trying to fit OTs into a physio model and it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I was quite scarred by that. And a, a lot of what I do is trying to not do anything that I experienced in that role. Um, that's, that's yeah. just such a motivator for so many allied health business yeah. owners is that they're driven by what they haven't enjoyed and don't want. And it's back yeah. to that. I want to create a business that, you know, is quality and flexible and all these other things. And some of those, especially the flexibility one, that can sometimes be the first thing to go as <laughs> your time totally disappears through your fingers. But um, it's yeah. often such a motivator to be in a way state from some of your employment experiences. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. motivator for me, that's for sure. Yeah. So start up was sort of 2015 and then you um, quit your day job uh, in 2018. Let's maybe fly back to 2018. Hmm. What were you thinking business would be like? Um, well, I, I think I probably hung on a good six months too long in my day job. I was like doing a diploma, working in an emergency department at a tertiary hospital and working a full-time caseload of clients and um yeah, definitely ran myself close to in the ground. Went, got to, got to quit my mm. job now. Um, but I was, I'm, I'm generally actually quite a risk averse person, which is bizarre. It sounds quite odd with other things that I do and choose to do. But at that time, I was just like, no, I want the steady income to rely on, and then I can just build this up on the side. Um, so, what was the tipping point? <laughs> exhaustion. I was yep. just like, I can't. You tired you know, to go to work? I'll just yeah, do what I want. I got, I got one more referral personally like in my business and I just went I can't take this on and keep this other job and then I was mm. like what do I really want to do do I want to keep doing this three-day week gig in ED and which was taking up actually most of my weekends or do I want to go all in and I kind of was like oh you know let's go all in and you know everyone a lot of people in your life kind of like no keep the stable hospital job you know yeah that. That's too risky yeah. for me, so don't you dare do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I, was, I was like, I can't, I can't do both anymore, you know, and I would much rather be doing this other thing. So I'm just going to give it a go. And worst case scenario, I'll go back to the hospital and say, hey, can I have my job back? So, um, yeah, I, that was just the tipping point. I think I kind of got to the point where I couldn't stretch anymore and it was either turn down an opportunity or it was take the opportunity mm. with the other job. So mm. that's the, that was the fork in the road. And what did you think business would be like? I assumed it would be what it had been like for the last six months, which lasted about the length of six weeks, and then it just got crazy. Um, I kind of just thought I'd be seeing my, you know, rehab clients, doing my, you know, three, four sessions a day, you know, doing brain injury and spinal cord rehab, a couple of mods here and there, sort of thought I'd just be ticking along. Pop home for lunch. Yeah, like, you know, working from home and, and yeah, it just, it, I mean, it was all those things, but I was also working crazy days and crazy mm. hours and I was loving every minute of it. But it very quickly I realised, oh, um, I got, we'd bought a house and we were renovating and I had not long been engaged and I was planning a wedding and I was like, I'm it for these people. So if I need to have time off to do these renovations or to get married or to go away, like that's going to be a problem. Um, and I didn't want to leave them unsupported. 
So that's when I kind of was like, oh, I'm really going to need some support here. And that's when Therese came on board casually, um, which was a lifesaver mm. because it meant, mm. first of all, we had a bit more capacity, but second of all, I could actually go take a couple of weeks off to get married and have a honeymoon a couple of months later without leaving all of those people. Mm. So did you have designs, and I mean that in a good way, did you have designs and plans for a team of 15? Did you? No. Never. Okay. Never. I hope you no. got them now. Well, yeah, now, yeah, now it's different. <laughs> um, no, I had, had no plans. Um, once when Therese came on, we saw that sort of the plan was for her to be full-time. So mm-hmm. we just mm-hmm. the two of us nah, did not think beyond I just want to be full-time self-employed. And I sort of had this other like longer-term goal of I really wanted to work in disability residential design a big part of going out on my own was to actually be able to manifest that because there wasn't really anyone who was mm. going to be able to offer me that opportunity so I was kind of taken away with that on the background now it was very organic when Therese came on board full-time in April and we kind of opened up ourselves to NDIS that's when we were like oh wow this is well, both of us were at full capacity within like we were at full capacity when Therese came on board yeah yeah just with ICWA and um yeah then the NDIS stuff started rolling in and again kind of just found ourselves in that in that spot where there was quite a strong need for what we were doing and people were really migrating towards an, an independent service um and a lot of the people we worked with ICWA were then you know working in mm. community roles that they mm. had clients um anyway yes yeah, so, and then June we started recruiting people um yeah so how like, did you figure it all out so you can't just fly by the seat of your pants. Oh, okay. Um, no, no. I Do not know. edit that bit out. No. Um, oh, I think a, a lot of reading, just a lot of grunt work. Yeah. A lot of just got to work it out. Um, I'm very much a um, fake it till you make it, like say yes and work mm-hmm. it out later kind of person. Mm-hmm. I've done that more than a few times in my um, life and career as a business mm-hmm thus far um yeah a lot of just working it out um and certainly like we made a lot of errors in like the first two years like oh. the way that stuff runs now is a dream mm. to, like if you ask the, the first few people we hired they would have been like I mean it all seemed fine at the time but compared to the the sophistication we're at now in terms of systems and processes and all of that mm. yeah it, it was a very different <laughs> picture back then yeah so lots of grunt work, lots of reading, lots of conversations, yeah. lots of um, we call them learnings where you fail but you learn even faster than you fail. Yeah, yeah. lots of fail quick, move on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very much a fail fast mentality kind of person. I've also had some amazing mentors that have kind of like I'm out, I'm all for outsourcing. I'm like if I don't have to do it and there's someone better equipped to has more knowledge and is more capable, I'm yep. happy to throw yeah. money at the problem. Yeah, well, I'll throw money at the solution. Yes, exactly. Throw yep. money at the problem to get the solution. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Saves you a whole lot of time and and headache as well. So, what do you think has been your steepest learning curve? People. Okay, tell us a bit more about that. Um, I think I very much identify myself more as a big picture leader person than a day to day ops. Mm-hmm manager um, I'm very fortunate that Therese and I have very complementary skills in that sense 
She's That's great. such a classic entrepreneurial profile, though. A little bit of ADD, yeah. <laughs> a little so, bit of, yeah. yeah, just make it happen, people. Yeah. You're going this yeah. way. Are you coming? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Therese great. compliments that. Very good at grounding me and being like, let's just take a moment and think through that um, and how we're going to make that happen. She's also great in the sense that she's um, very endorsing of my wild whims and is very enthusiastic and passionate as well and happy to go for the ride. But she's she's great in grounding me and kind of going, we probably need to actually think about that, the reality of that, um, which I really need. <laughs> so it's wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, but pe- I think the people thing, like we, we, we have such an unreal team, but it had never crossed. I never really managed more than like one or two people in any kind of work context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably hadn't thought through the nuts and bolts of what it would take to be able to operationalize and support a team of 12, 15 people. Um, and each of them are wonderful in their own right. They've all got different sets of skills and they are all, um, exceptional staff members. They're so aligned to our, our company's brand, our value the kind of clinicians that we want to put out in the world. That's the kind of clinician they want to be if they're not already there. So we're all very aligned in that sense, but just the amount of um, everyone's got lives and everyone has, you know, personal things going on and everyone's got different priorities and different schedules and different clinical needs. And I think we probably, I just didn't think through how, significantly we would need to have systems processes and things in place to actually support those people and give them the kind of workplace that they wanted and deserved and layering onto that all the HR obligations and compliance on that front and payroll and this thing called the ATO and then all of a sudden the wonderful humans need to do wonderful things for the business to be sustainable yes correct I think um I think we got the modeling good early on like we I think I nailed the financial modeling early days in terms of the kind of KPI targets we would need to make the business sustainable in the way that we wanted it to be like I knew that you know we wanted to be able to have our four quarterly team days that we wanted to offer a PD budget that we wanted to be able to give Mm. all our clinicians pretty much as much clinical support as they needed to be the kind of clinicians that they wanted to be and we needed them to be so I knew that we had to have solid targets and really solid financial management in order to provide correct all of the goods all of the good stuff for the all yeah. of the good humans yeah yep. correct yeah. so i think we got that part right i think the part that we didn't get probably right was the messaging around that um mm-hmm. and how we communicate that how we articulate that and then how we support and manage people to that um i think we got a lot right but there was definitely a lot of room for improvement yeah yeah yeah, and look, that makes that makes complete sense as well. It sounds as though you had a business that grew quite quickly. Your reputation grew ahead of you, and then the team grew into that. And then, as business owners and leaders, you kind of kept then, yeah, came up and kind of kept everyone moving in the right um, in the right direction. Do you particularly enjoy the numbers and the financials and that more? Not so much side of things. No, I don't love it. I think it's a um, a means to an end for me. Um, I, I know enough and I'm comfortable enough to be on top of it, be aware of it and know that if I want to make a decision, I have to have considered and planned out how that looks. Um, yeah. But really well supported by um, 
you know, bookkeeper, come mm. payroll officer, come financial controller and accountant in terms of the, like, I can't use Excel. I am awful. Like, I, if, if you left me in charge of my own budget, it would be diabolical. But I'm very good at articulating what we need. Yep. And um, reading the data off the sheet, re- making yeah, decisions and, with it. And yeah. reviewing the budget and then being able to, yeah, tinker with that. But, um, yeah, someone else does all of the Excel um, projections spreadsheets. But that's smart. That's exactly that um, piece you mentioned a few minutes back on delegating. Like, yeah. you know, you don't want to lose hours of your life wrangling a spreadsheet into shape when other people love it and are way better at it than you and then can bring it all to fruition. That's real CEO thinking. Um, yeah, it's just not not within my um, scope of interest either, to be quite honest. I, I have got a, a personal goal of learning having basic excel competency in the next year because I, I wouldn't even say that i've got that um but yeah definitely got no desire to um to build big spreadsheets mm. that's for sure yeah yeah running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent it's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement we have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalised report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. So let's maybe talk a bit about the the humans. So Therese kind of joined full-time from mid, was it, midway through 2019. How do you guys work together and work apart? Um, I'm assuming you do both. Sorry if I put words in your mouth. Yeah, we definitely do both. Um, I think we're quite fortunate that we have really, we have a lot of personality traits that are quite similar but enough that are different that it kind of almost just organically unfolds. Like we're in very close contact a lot of the time but we sort of just know what we're doing and we're both just separately working away on it and, you know, we just communicate when we need to communicate with each other. Um, it's one of those um, it's one of those dream synergies that you probably, if you looked for it, you'd never found you'd never find it. But it kind of just happened. Um, I, I met Therese at Fiona Stanley. I knew I thought she was great. I thought she was really keen and enthusiastic. I wanted I knew I wanted someone to be a partner. I didn't want to do it on my own um, permanently. So she came on board, and I sort of hoped that that's who she'd become. And we didn't really know. And then, like mm. with our relationship, sort of just evolved into that. Um, position which was wonderful and yeah like I said I think if you went looking for it you'd struggle to find it but we were just really fortunate that we're just a really great fit and we both have really complementary strengths and weaknesses yeah yep I coach uh, a surprising number of business partners surprising number um, back in the day, I wasn't really aware that there were this many out there, but I think there's been a little bit of a, a change in the last few years as um, one partner has decided to step out of a more professional corporate role and, um, you know, may, and 
you know, come in and it, it might be life partners, it might be just friends who, uh, you know, just get along well and they they have that complementary but contrasting skill set as well. Um, and, you know, some people sort of think, oh, my gosh, it must be so much easier. And um, I, I tend to reply to them saying it's not necessarily easier. It's just really, really different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier. I, I think that what probably was really great for Therese and I is that she came on board in a professional OT context. Mm and evolved into being a business partner. Um, We weren't friends first. We weren't, like, we're friends now, obviously. But, Mm. yeah, sort of, um, I kind of just, yeah, just really evolved organically to where where it is today. Mm. Um, But I think for me it's easier in the sense that all the stuff Therese is exceptional at, I'm really awful at. Um, And so it's a massive, I can kind of really work in my strength zone most of the time, rather than trying to worry about the, you know, the triage and the capacity and, um, you know, doing supervision and joints and all of that, like she's exceptionally coordinating all of that. And I would be awful. So I think for me, it's easier in the sense that I get to work on my strengths and she gets to work on her strengths. And I know that I can go away for two weeks and she's got it and Mm. she can go away for two, however many weeks and I've got it. So I think it's just that you, you do have one other person to entirely depend and rely on has probably been the biggest mental shift for me. Yeah. And that also speaks to having good infrastructure for the systems and leveraging tech and automations and so on and so forth. That all makes that a whole lot easier. That stuff easily saves, saves one or two full-time positions, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a, a team of OTs. Um, have you got a range of experience in there? Yeah, yeah. We're really fortunate to have um, a big breadth of experience, although we've definitely got a concentration in that kind of 26 to sort of 32 mark or mm. three years out to sort of seven, eight years out. Is We've got a bigger, that's where our biggest cohort yep. is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got an OT who's been an OT for about 30 years and she's just got unreal experience. Um, she's just an absolute gem of a human as mm. well, which is wonderful and so passionate about OT still, mm. um, which I just find so inspiring about her. Um, so she's a wonderful asset for us. Um, and then we've got, yeah, down to, yeah, I think 20, 24, 25. So what's that? Maybe one, one, two years out. We've, we've got a new grad starting actually in two weeks' time. So that'll be our first new grad. Mm. Why um, why do you think it is so advantageous having a range of experiences and experience levels across the team? Um, I think also a range of ex- like backgrounds. So like mm. almost all of our team have not come from an NDIS background when they've come to us. Um, we've literally got someone starting end of August and she's our first team, a second team member ever who's come from an NDIS background to us. Everyone else has come from hospital, aged care, equipment suppliers, like real diverse range mm. of backgrounds. Um, I We have this really wonderful vibe in our team where even if you're someone who's got two or three years out of experience our 30 years experienced OT will go to them for support for something because it's something that they're not au fait with because their caseloads are different their backgrounds are different their skill sets are different yeah and that's probably one of the most beautiful things about what we've built is that we've got this team 
structure and team culture where everyone is there to support everyone. There's no sort of I'm more senior than you, you're more junior than me. There's none of that. It's just very much who's done this, who can help me with that. Has anyone had this experience or exposure before? Um, And that's very much across the board for us. Mm. Um, And I think that that's really wonderful because everyone can always learn something just because you've got 30 years experience or 10 years experience. It doesn't mean that you couldn't learn something from the new grad Mm. who's been out for a year or two years because we're all experiencing different things on a daily basis. We've worked in different places and, and you just never know who's got what to offer. So I think that that's why I like the diversity in the range. And my hope is as well that we're a workplace where people who are quite junior come in and they're supported to be very open and transparent and share. And it's a very, uh, very much a psychologically safe workplace. There's no sort of, you know, judgment, no sort of fear of failure. Um, obviously, we've all got our own anxieties and neuroticies around those things. But, mm. you know, I think overall, people um, feel comfortable to ask anyone in the team for support with anything. Yeah. I wasn't sure what you would answer in asking that question. And I'm so glad you've acknowledged the amazing value that the new grads and early career clinicians bring to the profession and bring to the workplace. Um, And I I like to challenge those assumptions that just because you've been doing something a long time that A, you're good at it and B, you should be teaching others and there's probably a ton of, of others as well. And um, to sort of equalise the the fact that we're lifelong learners and we've all got something to to share up, I think, uh, is really is really important. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes the new grads and early careers they're kind of felt about felt. Oh, I wonder, well, some of the ones I've spoken to, they sort of feel as though they're going to be a burden and they haven't got much to offer and that they're going to need so much help. And there's sort of this mismatch, <laughs> which I I don't know how that's even going to change. But, you know, it's, yeah, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the bigger conundrums of the, um, mm. the change in landscape, I think. Um, I don't know if that's it's my sort of personal background where I very much didn't get a lot of support from seniors and I was very much left out there to learn on my own um and you know I had to go seek my own mentors and own clinical support and do all of my own learning that I very much have a belief that if we only let experienced clinicians do experienced work and we only let you know (sighs) get all the complex referrals and new grads are sort of told you can only do this little box of things like to me that seems like a flawed model because we even see it now like we have all of these amazing experienced clinicians who are no longer being they're not in the workforce they're not working clinically and, and they do some consulting and training but you know they're not they're not out there working for organizations you know doing full-time hours and so we've got these huge skill sets just Mm. disappeared from our working base and like where where is that knowledge being passed down um and if if we don't pass it down while they're still in the workforce and working and wanting to kind of impart that Mm. then no one wins because you could just lose it um and probably you know we, we know that there's this big gap in our workforce because a lot of you know we're women predominantly OTs Mm. and you know people go and have families and they're working part-time there's probably you know a decade of if not more of time there where 
a, your really middle experienced workforce is either not there or they're there in a really limited capacity. Mm. Um, I just, yeah, I think we've we've sort of taken the approach of despite working in a really complex space, we know that we need a balance of clinicians who are comfortable and experienced enough with that to actually then be able to support more junior staff members to give it a go. So we'll send two people out there and it's a learning opportunity and it's that mm-hmm. constant building of capacity in our younger therapists. Yeah. Uh, we had one of our one of our team members leave recently to move to Tassie and, and you know, one of her things in her exit interview was that she, you know, she, I think she was only with us, unfortunately, for nine or ten months before she decided to move, but that, you know, she'd spent ten months in a role with us and had learnt more with us in ten months than the two to three years prior with a, a variety of other organisations just because, mm-hmm. I guess, we kind of facilitated exposure to those more complex things in a safe way. Um and sort of, I guess, back ourselves in from a clinical governance perspective to know that we are doing it in a safe way and, and a way that's not going to be at, at detri- of detriment to the client. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's a big problem. It's also not yeah. a cheap, cheap problem. Um, yeah, it's complex. It's complex. But there's, there's some really um, in, unhelpful assumptions out there. And um, I sometimes wonder if new graduates are just overprotected in some ways, under-supported in others. It, it just shouldn't be this yeah. inconsistent. Um, it shouldn't be this difficult to bring them into the workforce and in a way that is respectful and supportive and keeps them in the workforce. Yeah, well, that's our other big problem, isn't it? I think yeah. that supporting is huge because the rate of burnout or the risk of burnout is huge. Mm. Um, and I think if you're someone who's a new grad and you're stepping into a caseload and you've got supervision once a fortnight and, you know, that's pretty much it, I, I think in this landscape, in this NDIS world, you would really struggle um, to feel comfortable, to feel confident, to yeah be learning things. You know, there's so much to learn and so much to take in and it's, not only the clinical stuff, there's this whole systemic piece that you have to learn, you know, funding, yeah. funds, all of that. So, um, yeah, it's overwhelming for new grads, that's for sure. I think there's definitely a, a lot of room for improvement from a uni point of view, from new mm-hmm. graduates' point of view, from organisational point of view. There's, yeah, yeah. across-the-board problem really. Yeah, yeah. The um, Well, it'll be interesting, but, you know, we've got to make sure that we continue to improve on this or else this workforce thing or lack of is just going to get thinner and thinner and thinner and, yeah. 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 Hmm. So thinking about the future, what do you think uh, optimal living therapy will look like in five years? I just picked that random number. Five years. Yeah, five years. Five years is probably more manageable to foresee than ten. I think the landscape changes so frequently at the moment that, you kind of don't know year to year what it's really going to look like. Well, I think um, the pandemic taught us that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, stab in the dark, five years. What do yeah, you think? Well, it's probably not such a huge stab in the dark. We, we sort of know we don't want our Perth team to be more than really sort of around 15, 16 mm-hmm. PE over, of OTs. Um, so we're not probably not super far off that. Um mm-hmm. We want to be working like regionally and remotely. So we've got one, we've got, we're down in the Great Southern with one team member, but that's really enlightened us to the absolute lack of services in the regions and the lack of staffing in the regions. 
So that's a problem that we'd really like to contribute to solving. Um, we've got a few ideas about that, but I think we'd really like in five years' time to be a service that has available has availability regionally and remotely, however that looks, to be able to support the people who are on the ground there and maybe don't have the kind of access to services that they used to. Um, we've got an online learning platform called Otuition. We really want to continue to build that. I think that probably contributes to this sort of underlying desire that we've got to contribute to education, Jen. grads, mm. early career therapists, um, and I think that there's such a wide range of ways education can be provided from, you know, webinars through to day-long workshops. Um, and we sort of kind of want to provide education in the in-between space where, you know, it's a course you can sink your teeth into and it's really comprehensive mm. and it really um, it doesn't just give you information, but it actually challenges you to build your framework and your frame of reference in thinking about the problem. Um, that's something that we're quite passionate about trying to provide. Um, so we'd really like to keep building that and being able to support those therapists that, you know, we're never going to be able to hire or are never going to desire to hire, you know, huge volumes of mm. So that's sort of our way, I guess, of being able to contribute in a bigger scale than yeah. what we will employ and also diversify your position in the market a bit as well and sort of spread the the risk but also spread the impact as well I guess by the sound of that yeah definitely spread the impact I think that mm. you know again it comes down to all these wonderful OTs out there with all these great things to offer and share but unless we can capture them in a way that's accessible to people regardless of time and geography then yeah we're missing huge chunks of information mm. and knowledge. So we'd really like to, again, contribute a little bit to fixing that problem. Mm. What do you think the NDIS is going to look like in five years' time? I wish I had a crystal ball for that. You could you could apply and be CEO. I've, but, asked, a, I've asked a few people that question. What would you do if you went in as the new CEO? Oh, God, that, I can tell you now it's not a job I want. Okay. Um, I haven't met anyone yet who wants it. So uh, what do you think? So back to that first question, yeah. what do you, where do you think the NDIS is going in the next few years? It's so challenging because I can kind of see both sides of it. The, the, OT, um, the OT and humanitarian in me goes, you know, we need, we've created a scheme that's, you know, goal-orientated and we need to acknowledge people's needs and acknowledge people's preferences and choices. But Yeah, we don't know how to set the goals, write them or measure them. Yeah, correct. But then the business, owner, yeah, the business owner in me goes, yeah, those financials aren't sticking up. So um, I kind less of and less in it, isn't there? Without a price yeah. rise, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So I mean, it's a huge problem. I think I think I would again, if we're playing ideal world as opposed to reality, um, I think I'd overhaul the system. I think that the there's not enough. Um, the systems are just insane to me. The fact that we all email one central email address, <laughs> like what? In what world? Like every provider of every support from every tiny city and, you know, that in, in Australia. In I wonder world. how many emails that, that one gets a, gets a day. I mean, like I would start there. I would be like this email address has got to go. Let's just get a portal where everyone uploads their documents and, you know, like it, I don't know, to me it just seems in this day and age where there's so much tech and software and that available to us that we're all emailing one central email address. Mm. Um, take a ticket people take a ticket yeah yeah um oh yeah I, I think there's a lot of process problems and I think that um that we all have to be responsible as professionals mm. for you know, 
being conscious of how money is used and conscious of funding, achieving outcomes. And I think we all need to be very aware of that. But I also think that the NDIA processes waste a lot of our time, which therefore yep. wastes their money. Um, and that just erodes optimism and trust and patience as well. Yeah, yeah it's not efficient, that's for sure. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it needs to be run a little bit more like a corporate a business. business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, we could sort of say the word governance as well, couldn't we? Yeah, there's definitely a lack of that because I think it, I find it quite frustrating that, um, you know, as a provider who, you know, really has a strong focus on clinical governance and best practice and, you know, best heavily mm. in development and that our clients are achieving good outcomes, but we all get lumped into the same basket as providers who are maybe not really got any focus or um, eyeball on that um, and, you know, are maybe charging the agency the same rate that yeah. nothing versus providers who are charging the NDIA rate and achieving lots of things like to me that seems a bit a bit not quite right yeah yeah uh you've made me remember um a very uh, entertaining conversation I had with a business owner a little way back and um she was saying do you think the NDIS would even pass their own registration process probably not <laughs> Probably not. I never thought about it like that, but it's it's entertained me from time to time to think about, you know. Well, they've got how- all of these targets, right? They've got all these operational mm. targets that they're supposed to meet and they consistently don't meet them. It's like, well, what's the consequence for not meeting them? Oh, sorry, guys, we didn't meet them. You know, like it's just yeah, it, it feels like a, quite a one-way system um, in lots of senses which doesn't mm. motivate the market to help to you step out. up yeah exactly right and step with you yeah wow what a conversation thank you so much for getting edgy and uh getting a little bit uncomfortable has it been all that uncomfortable for you no no uh, oh maybe i didn't ask hard enough questions no just a good chat you see this is the thing about podcasts that i think you don't realize until you do one is we're just having a zoom chat yep yep it's only when you send me the recording that I'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. This is actually going somewhere. Oh, um, but okay. I, won't, I won't listen to it, so it's okay. Uh, that's okay. That's fine. That's 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 your call. And that is pretty much our mission in starting this podcast all those years ago was to capture the allied health business experience, the private practice experience. Because, you know, I've kind of been there and we work with many and varied allied health business owners and we know how hard you guys work and we know, you know, what your aspirations are and what your learning curves have been. And um, so many business owners, I think, sit out there thinking, um, oh, this, you know, it's just me and everybody else seems to have it all sorted and nailed and everybody else's businesses look better than mine, that whole grass is greener stuff. But in fact, it's not always like that. And there's often quite some shared wisdom and, uh, yeah, scar tissue on it. Yeah, I think yeah, everyone experiences their own um, their own set of challenges, don't they? At mm. times, in different circumstances, but there's definitely a lot of common themes. I think we've all um, we've all been there, where you know that sometimes it you know feels like there's more challenges than there are wins. It gets a bit lonely. Yeah, it gets gets a bit tough and a bit hairy sometimes, mm. but um, oh, it's also um, wonderfully rewarding in so many ways but yeah I think that that's probably all business owners consistent experience yeah for sure for sure well 
thank you so much for coming in and sharing yours. Good to get it on the record. Good to have a chat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.